0: As we looked at 2023, the leadership team, the teaching team, Pastor Jason, you know, Pastor JD, Pastor Josh, Pastor Carl, Pastor Ian, Pastor, 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 right? We all got together and said, what what are the strengths of Freedom Center and what are the the weaknesses that we need to work on? And and we talked a lot about the strengths, but we got to the weaknesses. We, we named a bunch of different things, but they all came back to the same foundation. And that was a sense of biblical literacy that's lacking. So you, you might have noticed this if, since January. We've been talking about what the Bible says about marriage, about kids, about sin, salvation, uh, about parenting, about his church, about about all these different things, about faith and deeds and all these sermons. And really what it is, we're trying to build this great foundation beneath us of this is what the Bible says. This is what we believe. This is how we practice it. This is the faith of our faith community. And so today we're going to continue in that that vein and that thought of building a biblical foundation. But we're going to change from, from what we believe and how we treat each other to the world around us. And I think you're going to be surprised because of the modern a uh, day that we live in has a lot of a lot of factions, a lot of fractured relationships, a lot of camps and tribes and silos. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be a believer as we kind of turn our arrows outward and look at the world around us. Um, and we really need to get this right. And you might be surprised to learn that in the verses of Scripture we're going to look at today, you see yourself in it. Maybe you see others in it. Maybe you say, "Aha! I know who those are." Oh, oh no, maybe that's me. And so uh, we're going to look at four groups that were basically the cultural groups that were around Jesus as Jesus was teaching on the kingdom and teaching us how to love one another and teaching us what it meant to love God. And so in this in this understanding, look at the four kind of major social classes that were. They were in the temple that heard him speak. They were in the synagogue. They were on the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and maybe that'll give us a perspective from those ancient things about our modern things today. The first group we look at is the Pharisees. I know you've heard the word Pharisee a lot. And who were the Pharisees? They were the separated ones. The word Pharisee means the separated ones. They were conservative morally they believed in an afterlife. And one of the things that comes with believing in an afterlife is that this world, this life matters because it's judged and you're rewarded or, or not rewarded in the next life. They were Bible-centric. And what I mean by that is they found various verses that, <laughs> that gave them great authority to, uh, to do the things they wanted to do and tended to ignore the things that they, they didn't want to do. They, they were Bible-centric, sort of. Um, they can be pretty hateful to outsiders. We see Jesus the Sadducees, other groups butting heads with the Pharisees and they're, they're conspiring murder. So these are not just, you know, religious people. These are dangerous people, right? And, and they try to defeat all opposition. One of the things that marked the separated ones is we are those that are separated, which means those who are not us, are not us. And God loves us, but God doesn't love them. And we're righteous, and they're not. So you bring into that the synagogue leaders, the local pastors, the more rural, the more, you know, the, the Pharisees. And now we come to a second group called the Sadducees. This was, this was um, temple-centric. They, they were the ones who did the high priest and were represented on the Sanhedrin, along with the Pharisees and other groups. But, but they were the affluent. They were uh, uh, liberal, morally, versus conservative. They, um, they didn't believe in an afterlife, so get what you can get and uh, look religious doing it. it. seems to be kind of their, their unspoken moral. Um, they were Bible-centric, again, sort of. They saw the things they wanted to see. They used the Bible, as the Pharisees did, to get their way not necessarily submit to God's ways. And they can be, again, pretty hateful to outsiders and they can try to defeat all opposition. We see regularly the Pharisees trying to confound Jesus, then the Sadducees take a swing at it, and then the Pharisees come back, and then the Sadducees come back. What they're trying to do is disqualify everybody but themselves, right? Uh, Another group are known as the Essenes. These are the people you might know, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those were the Essenes. They, They went out into the wilderness, places where nobody wanted to be, and they built basically small little villages of people they were just waiting for the Messiah. They were praying, they were fasting, they were monastic, they were desert fathers, they were those who just, I don't, I don't care about the politics, I don't even care about the religious institutions, all I care about is God, and they ran off from the rest of culture and developed a separatist culture of their own. And then lastly, we've got the zealots, and these were also known as the Sakarim. and what that word means is little daggers. So these are our assassins. These are our people that if. If you're bad enough, we can kind of go Taliban on you. We, can, we have the religious right to execute people who are really bad. And so you've got the Essenes, I just want to escape, the, the Sakareem that want to execute. You've got the Pharisees, you've got the Sadducees. And, and the, the atmosphere that's created, now please hear me, the atmosphere that's created by all these different camps, all these different tribes, is one of, of tribalism. It's us and it's them. Well, it's us and they're the problem. No, we're the solution, they're the issue. This is the most important election of our lifetime. You ever heard that, every election, right? If you don't do this now, America, you hear this? So they're defensive, they're aggressive, they're violent. Can I take it a step farther? They're dangerous and shockingly all religious. And how is that possible, that I'm executing people with with my dagger out of zeal for God. I'm separating from all mankind because of my zeal for God. I'm, we're separated from the rest of the world because we have superior doctrine and we're separated from all mankind. Well, we're, we're, the, we're the ones that have the temple worship and therefore the blessing of God on the temple and all mankind is wrong but us. And all of these exceptions focus on, and I want you to hear me, they all have an agreed upon devil, but they don't have an agreed upon God. And what I mean by that? I'm not saying they don't have the God of the Bible in their doctrines, but they certainly have missed his heart and I want you to hear me. Yes, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the person behind you. <laughs> Elbow your neighbor right now and say, he's talking to you too, not just me. He's talking to me too, not just you. Come on, do it. So understand this, they're, they're separated, they're traveling. What, what separated them? They all have a devil that, they, that as a group they've all agreed on to fight, but they lack this, this sense of God to move forward with. They, they know what they're against, but they don't speak much of what they're for. So just being honest, do you recognize anybody on that, that ancient list of characters from 2000 years ago? Recognize any maybe modern things today that you might equate to what you are or they are or we are or those are or them is, right? If you do, then understand this. If you found your enemy on that list, I'll bet you your enemy found you on that list as well you right-wing nut, you left-wing commie, you, right? The same fractional groups have different names today, but yet we find a lot of similarities and familiarity. And then there's someone um, on this list that comes up, and, and they've all moved into their offensive, defensive tribes, all believing that they're the majority, that they're right, and everyone else is wrong. And then Jesus shows up. And and understand this, because Jesus was perfect morally, he's the living word of God, he's not discerning a certain portion for his benefit, he is the word taken on flesh. He he tries to win the opposition, not defeat the opposition. And because he loves outsiders, understand this. No one likes him. (laughs) The Pharisees can't stand him. The Sadducees can't stand him. The Essenes have probably never heard of him because they're off doing their own thing in the desert. And the Zealots are probably trying to plot ways to to kill him, right? So maybe maybe this, this background helps you understand. Luke chapter 15, open your Bibles, Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2, and he gives you kind of a background of who Jesus is speaking to and their reactions. And he says this, now, the task collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, this is everybody else, so the, the the evil people, the task collectors, those who aren't us, they're not Pharisees, they're not Sadducees, they're not saints, they're not Zealots, they're other people that don't fit into any of our major categories. They're hearing Jesus speak and they're the only ones that like him because even though he's nothing like them, he loves them, and they like that, and they're listening to what he has to say. So now the tax collectors and the sinners, all the bad guys that didn't fit in at any of the camps, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are all the other groups, muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, all the tribes disagree with Jesus. Doesn't he know that these people are our enemies? Doesn't he know that our job is to bring shame? to defeat them in public debate, to destroy their reputation, to take away their business. like Our job is to punish them for their, their transgressions and, and until maybe they repent and become like us, not like the other groups, like our group, our group only. So um, Jesus is gonna use this occasion, and hopefully in our life, he's gonna use this occasion as well to bring us back to the Father's heart, not the fractured heart of causes, not the fractured heart of zealots and escapists and radicals and middle liners and hardliners and blue dogs and red states. All of that's going away now. We're going to talk about one heart, and it's God's heart. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 15, verse 3, tells us three parables that reveal to us the heart of God for every lost soul. And I hope that we get something out of this today. It says this, Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses just one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one, that single, that lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, hey, guys, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And this is what he says. I tell you that in the same way calling together everybody, rejoicing. Hey, what was lost has been found. They're no longer in danger. they get eaten by a wolf. This is great. In the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus doesn't put the value on all these things that are safe. His heart seems to be somewhere else with the one, the one that's in danger. You say, well, I'm not much of a sheep person myself. Uh, maybe there were people in this crowd that didn't get it. So Jesus continues. All the country folks are like, yeah, 4-H, baby. You know what I mean? Future farmers of America, we're with you, right? No, no disrespect to those awesome groups. But, but a city folks, like sheep, they eat, they drink, they make raisinets and other sheep. I don't, I don't know anything about them. So he changes the parable to a different point of view. And he says this, chapter 15, verse 8, book of Luke. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and calls her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Well, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's there's rejoicing. We got one. We lost it. It was, it was gone. It wasn't in our graphs. It, it, it had been removed. It had been stolen. It was, we couldn't find it. And now we found it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't everybody excited about this? And so he's trying, Jesus, again, he's trying to get people to see, whether it's through sheep or through coins, this, this beautiful understanding of the heart of the Father. It's not about your group, not about your cause. It's about his family and the one that's missing is the one that he's concerned with. Does this make sense? If this makes sense, say amen. So l- look at this. So by now, some are getting it, and as always, some are arguing with it. So he-, he gets very specific, and I'll even go to the place of saying graphic. So he's gonna give us now the parable of the prodigal son. We're gonna see this from a much more human, not coins, not sheep, but families. And just about all of his listeners were a part Of a family, and they understood a father and a brother and a son and missing and absent and scared for. And so he says this in uh, Luke 15, verse 11 Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, uh, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. All the money's gone, and now he's hungry. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Uh, This is a, a real because of the kosher diet and the cloven hoof and unclean animals, this guy's now the servant of something unclean. Jesus is saying a lot more here than just feeding pigs. He's talking about what happens when we take what God has given us and we just squander, we walk away. We, we're a tax collector, we're a sinner, right? And he, he longed, the son longs to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, man, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. And I go back to my father, and I'm, I have this practice speech. So when he sees me, he understands that I'm not worthy. Father, here's my speech. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your slaves, one of your hired servants, one of, one of, your, one of the people that is in a bond-servant relationship. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while, I love this, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, let me ask you this. How do you see someone who's a long way off? 360 degrees, all around you. Why why, why do you think the father saw him a long way off? I'll tell you why. Because he was looking for him. Just just like the woman looking for the coin, right? Just like the shepherd looking for the sheep. The father is looking for that which was lost, that which had walked away, that which which was at risk. And, And he sees him a long way off. His father saw him, was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son. I think this is true. If you find this not true, I'd love to have a conversation, but I I think what I'm about to say is true. I think this is the only instance of God ever running an analogy in parable or in scripture. This is the only time God runs. He doesn't run to a battle to destroy his enemies. He doesn't run from a fight. He runs to one who was lost. God the Father runs to the one who was lost. It's beautiful. And here comes the speech. He runs with his son, he throws his arms around him, he kisses him, and the son goes, no, no, you don't understand. You don't, you don't want to become father. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, now, get this, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not this, I'm not that, but the father said. The father ignores what he said because now my narrative will be predominant in your story. I'm going to tell you who you are. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, give him his identity back. Put sandals on his feet, separate him from the dirt of this world. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. So what what is Jesus saying? Luke chapter, we have this whole, this whole section, right? Luke chapter 15, what is Jesus saying? To those who are tribal, to those who are separate, to those who are better than everybody else, to those who have a common enemy, a common devil, but they're ignoring this, this beautiful centric God. I mean, centric is in he's the middle of all issues. I mean, he's centric and he's supposed to be the center. We're supposed to live God-centric lives, not issue or political or, or demographic or skin color centric lives. We're supposed to live God centric lives. What is the heart of our God who's at the center? What should we believe about the world around us according to Jesus? Number one, write this down please. Set all this to say these last three things. Number one is this. God loves the lost and so should we. God loves the lost and so should we. Um, I personally am very grateful that that sentence was true when I was 16 years old and 18 years old and about, about 19 years old. Those are significant seasons of great coming back, great prodigal son coming back to God moments in my life. I'm so grateful that God loved me, continues to love me, but that God loves the lost. And so should we, um, we, we have to understand two things about Freedom Center and maybe about the kingdom in general. Uh, we are a church. We're the ecclesia. We're a gathering. But I, we're, we're, for, we're for anybody. Anybody who walks through those doors, anybody who gets online, anybody listen to the radio station, man, we are, we are for you. Uh, we're not for everything everybody's doing we're yes we have issues and we draw a line so we're a church for anybody but we're not a church for everybody does that, does that make sense we're anybody is welcome but we're not a church for everybody we may not be your flavor we may not be what God's put on your heart we may have certain doctrinal stances that you would disagree with we may have some, some simple moral standards like I don't believe that and that's that's you have a free will and you can use it any way you choose but the one thing you'll find is even though we're against certain things, I can't think of a single person we're against. Does that make sense? So Jesus is against lies, but he's not against liars. Jesus is against stealing, but he's dying for thieves on the cross. Jesus is against a lot of the things that these groups are predicated on, but he's not against the people known as the Pharisees. He's against the yeast, the influence, the the stupidity, the arrogance of these groups, but he's not against the people in them. And I hope you get this because we live in a day and age that that wants to be more and more tribal, smaller and smaller groups, more echo chambers, more only what I believe, not listening to anybody else. And, And you're in a scene then. You're off in the desert with only people that only do what you only do. And eventually you'll turn on each other. That's, that's the experience of history and the experience of my life is if everything here is so unholy, you have to start something more holy, eventually the people that started get get kicked out because they're not holy enough. I've seen it like a dozen times. So, but, so the Essene thing doesn't work. Well, the Pharisees, let's be angry and aggressive and be forceful and let's argue and let's, let's make sure our, our message is out there. Well, what happens is eventually you get tired of hating the things you are created to love. I uh, mean, that's the wrong word. Hating people that you were created to love. And, and if, you, if you're so passionate about the liar, um, you're missing the root of the lie, and you, and you can't reach people that when you start by hating them. You only reach people when you start by loving them. Those who oppose us, we're supposed to gently instruct in and hope that God will grant them to repentance and lead them to a knowledge of the truth is what Paul tells Timothy. So for, for us to say, no, no, we're supposed, to be, we're supposed to beat them. We're not supposed to beat them. We're supposed to win them. How do you end them? You gotta love them. You don't have to love everything they do. You have to love everything they say. Certainly God doesn't love everything we do. God doesn't love everything we say. But you could not argue biblically or practically that God doesn't love you. And God doesn't love me. And God doesn't love us. And God loves them. For God so loved the world that he died for people that will hate him until they die. But he died for them because the thought of never giving them a chance was so unthinkable that God did the unimaginable. And he continues today, God loves them. And so should we, the, the second thought, write this down. God looks for them, and so should we. He didn't look for them to find out who was out and who was in. He looked for them to find out who could be won by his love, who would, who would repent towards the truth, who would be willing to, to take the keys of the kingdom and unlock what was holding them captive. He looked for them. The coin was looked for. The sheep was looked for. The son was looked for. And the heart of the father we see in Luke 15. Man, God's still looking for people. Are you looking for the lost? Or are you looking at them? Are you looking for the lost so that you can win them? Are you looking at them so the tribal lines are clear drawn and who's in today and out tomorrow? Guys, I got like, please hear my heart. This is fresh. This is new. But, but a phone call I got just today from a leader that loves Jesus in our community, he said these words to me. He said, evangelical Christians are the most angry, bitter, separatist people I know. And I went, oh God, this is a believer by the way, but he's, he's a believer in, in a much larger context than a local pastor might be. And he said, I'm just so tired. I'm not fighting the world so much as I'm fighting the church. Why? Because he doesn't align with the Pharisee line or the Sadducee line or the Essene line or the Assassin's line. People want him to be what they are, mad what they're mad about, passion, what they're passionate about, against what they're against. And if the one thing isn't it, they're gone. Listen, we got to come together. And if there's anything that can bring us together, it's not going to be politics and it's not going to be even theology. It's not going to be philosophy. It's not going to be economy. What's going to bring us together is when you and I both weep, we're both broken, we're both hurt for that which is lost and we come together to purpose in our lives to find them. Then those who have economic advantage will share it and those who have philosophical advantage will teach it and those who have biblical knowledge will will become teachers and groups. We, We have to be so concerned about them that we're less concerned about us and less concerned about me. God loves them and so should we. God looks for them and so should we. And the last thing and probably the most important thing and it's on all of these parables but I I just really want to hammer this home. God's heart is more with those who are lost than those who are found and so should ours. God's heart is more with those people we listed as our enemies potentially on that list than he is with the found and so should ours. Many years ago I had a I don't even know what to call it. It's funny, this is probably a 20-year-old revelation or experience of sorts. I was, um, I had an old Jeep CJ. It wasn't old then. I, now I'm old, and it's actually cool and classic. Um, but I was sitting out on the ball field here in, at the Fenton campus, and I was looking at the middle school and high school that are right across the street. And I, I had this unique imagination, I guess, this neat, unique, vi- it wasn't a vision, but... It was real, even though it wasn't real. I, it's hard to explain, but I had this experience that was a, a guided emotional tour of the heart of the Father concerning the lost. And I sat there in my Jeep, and all of a sudden the thoughts of Columbine. Those of you who are young might not know what Columbine is, but Columbine was a school in Colorado where a couple of kids went in with pipe bombs and shotguns and pistols, and they they shot up the school and killed a bunch of people. It was a, it was an, a shockingly unique uh, experience back then. Unfortunately, it's it's something we deal with far more commonly now. But uh, that imagination hit me. My sons are in those buildings. And what if today was that day? And I heard the boom and the pop, 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 smoke starts coming out, uh, bodies around the ground, and I'm sitting there watching this. And, And again, it's hard to explain, but it was, it wasn't real and I knew that, but it was realer than just my imagination. I thought, what would I do? I thought, man, I would go through this fence. This Jeep would become a battering ram and I would make my way as in a straight line through every obstacle between here and that school where my sons are. And, and as it continued, I got to the kind of the perimeter of the school and the police, the fire department, whoever, like I wasn't allowed to go in. I, I could not cross the boundary, the barricade to get it to where my sons were. And so I just sat there and I remember, this is strange. And again, I acknowledge this is strange. I'm not saying this is doctrine. This is the King Jim version of, of this parable, I guess, not the King James version. But I, I remember sitting in my Jeep and real tears are flowing down. My heart is pounding. I'm experiencing this and I'm just, my kids are in there and I'm out here and I don't know what to do and I can't get to them. And as it as kind of unfolded and continued after a hellish series of moments of that feeling of being helpless to, to get to where they were, through the smoke, I could see kids coming out. They were coughing, some were bleeding, some were on somebody's arm. They were being carried, they were being, these are kids that had been through the hell of what was happening inside of that building. And through that, I remember seeing the outline of one of my sons. And as he came towards me, I, I could tell, and this is how real it was, his face was blackened with soot. There was blood on his clothes. And I saw him, and I was able to, to get to him, and I threw my arms around him. It was so real, guys, that where his, where his face had been blackened by the fire, by the soot, his, his tears had washed stripes down. I mean, it was that, in that much deep, I could smell it, I could feel it, just as if it were happening. I wrapped my arms around that boy, and, and I, I remember seeing the blood, and I held him back. I said, are you okay? What's going on? Are you okay? Whose blood is this? And he assured me, Dad, it was awful. Um, I saw things. Uh, I'm scared, but I'm okay. This isn't my blood, this is somebody else's. Now, follow me for just a second. If you have children, follow me in a personal way if you can. I have my son who's safe. He's no longer in there. He's with me. He's made it. But I have two sons. Hear me. I have one in my arms. I love them both equally with all my heart. Die for them, live for them. I have one in my arms, but another one is still inside that school. You tell me, where's the heart of the father? You would have to understand that I'm so grateful that this one's safe. But my heart isn't here right now. My heart's inside that building where my son that I don't know where he is, and I don't know that he's okay, and I don't know what's happening. That's where my heart is. What does that mean for us? It means this. I am so glad that you find yourself in a local church, listening to Christian radio, watching online in Grand Blanc, Pontotoc, you know, Linden, uh, wherever you are, right? I'm so glad that you're safe and you're walking in faith with Jesus, but you are not the only child God has. And you tell me where his heart is right now. not saying his heart isn't with you. He loves you. He's so glad you're safe. He's so glad you made it. He so I'm sorry for what you've been through, but you're with him now and he's gonna take it from here. But you're not his only daughter and you're not his only son. And his heart remains in a building until those questions in that building are answered. That's where God's heart will be. So what does that mean? I don't know. I, I know it means this, that there's something that's more important to God than the things that separate us. And that's the lost. I know it means that for me to give my life to lesser causes and miss out on the Great Commission is to have wasted my life. To trust in the mechanisms of man rather than walking in the broken heart of the Father for the lost would be a waste. And so my life and my calling to those would be that we would lay ourselves down for them. I, I was just sharing the story with a, the, the teaching team and Pastor Ian said, you know what, I... I think you should end the message this way and so I'm going to take a suggestion. Um, I wish in that vision, my son would have said, I know where my brother is, you come with me. We're going to get him out of there. I'm telling you as a father, I would follow my son to where my other son is and we would get him out of there or we would die trying. And that, that is a biblical foundation of our heart towards those that are not like us, that are not one of us. They're not in our tribe, our silo, our group. Our heart should be to love them, to win them, to see them, to understand them. You should be able to to state their points to them as well as they could state their points to you and yet be able to disagree because of truth with the lies that have been believed. But if you don't love them first, they don't care. Everybody loves to argue today. Um, I love it when the argument is settled by love. I love it when division becomes unity. I had a man come to me years ago, said a local pastor, and he said, I need to confront you about something. I said, take out the chainsaw, baby, let's do this. And he, he said, I heard that you had said that, um, that my congregation and me as the leader is dangerous. I said, you know what, let me just stop you right there. I don't know who told you that, but you shouldn't trust them anymore because they're lying to you. I have never said, and I will never say, any leader in the body of Christ, that is in the body of Christ, let me qualify that, is dangerous. Uh, I agree, I disagree, you agree, you disagree, but in this, if we'll just agree on this, we can forget about the rest of the stuff. Do you love God? He said, Yeah. Do you love people? He said, Yeah. I said, Do you want to win the loss? He said, Yeah. Then you're my brother. And, and all the other stuff that people tell you about me and me about you to try to gain favor with us, we need to ignore those things. We need to trust those who speak a good report. I mean to go about our day just trying to win the lost. So hear me, Lyndon. Come on, save your clan back there, right? Pastor Jason, right here, right? The commitment is to win the lost at any cost. That doesn't cost us our belief. You believe that? Say amen. Come on, Grand Blank. Pastor Jim, Carrie, come on. If you believe that, say amen. Ponatok, come on, Greg. Shay, like if you believe that, say amen. Radio people, if you believe that, come on, right in your car, right now, say amen. You're, You're you're watching this online. And, and you're all by yourself. Come on, if you agree with that, say amen. All of us together now, everybody, all the groups right now, say with me. Everybody say amen right now. Say amen. We agree. We're here to win the lost. We're not here to win debates. We're here to find what's lost, not find ourselves in these little tribes. Revelation points a picture that I think helps us as we close today, and it's simply this. Around the throne, every tribe every kindred, every nation, every tongue is gathered there. You realize there's tribes and nations that hated each other in this life? But there Jesus settles the argument. Let us be those who bring heaven to earth and settle the argument because we love the lost more than we hate our neighbor. We love the lost more than we love being thought of as right. We love the lost more than we love our politics and our positions and our power bases. In our arguments. We love the lost like Jesus loves the lost. So would you pray with me? And I'll turn it back over. And your campus leader uh, is going to take it from here. Father, there's a brokenness in your heart towards the lost. And Jesus brings it out so eloquently, so beautifully. It's like, it's like something really valuable that just wandered off and is now in danger. It's like something that has value contained in it and and somehow it slipped between the cracks and it's missing. And someone lights a lamp and sweeps. It's like a son that that took everything that the father gave him and just wandered off and and wasted it and is now so lost, so hurt, so scared. God, I, I thank you for those who will come and walk back into the family. But for those who won't, we're gonna go looking for them. We're gonna help you find your sons and your daughters in this hellish nightmare of a Columbine world. We will go, and we will speak, and we will love, and we will forgive, and we'll turn the other cheek, and we'll be stronger than the demons we fight through Christ. And we will win the lost at any cost. It doesn't cost us our beliefs, our trust in you. So, God, we commit this to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, guys.